You will fail. So what? Everybody does. But your gym, your watch, your yoga pants, they pretend you won't. So when you miss a day, eat the pancakes. Give up on a workout? You failed? Seriously, what the hell? We're body. We've been a part of that too, but not anymore. At body, we're rejecting perfection and embracing reality. Not in a pizza Monday kind of way, in a loving your whole life kind of way. In a, this workout is fun and it's okay if I take a week off kind of way. In an, I'm eating healthy and it's okay if I indulge kind of way. In a, I like myself no matter what kind of way. Yeah, you will fail. We all will. But we're not going to let that be the end. You see that? We're already making progress. So let's keep going. We are body. Start your free trial at body.com. That's B-O-D-I dot com. Turns out the hat trick is actually its origin is from cricket. The more you know. And I actually enjoy not being on the inside because it keeps me away from all the drama. I like not knowing. I love when you call up a name and I'm like, I'm going to believe that he's not making that name up because, <laughs> because he's my co-host. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 27 where we don't like fun. That's it. We're done with fun. No fun anymore. Um, we will not laugh anymore. We'll I have just joined monotone the entire podcast. Serious business because we have a luxuriously appointed new studio space, which is to say that I have moved and brought all my junk with me to my new house. Um, okay. So the base, the baseball thing, right? That's what we do here. We have five and three this week for the blue Jays. Deonor Navarro makes his triumphant return. Josh Donaldson triumphantly hits three home runs, and they triumphantly attempt to juggle the rotation <laughs> to see how many innings everybody's going to rack up. Uh, we have an interview with uh, Jesse Goldberg Strassler, who is, as you may remember, the uh, jack of all trades and the announcer for the Lansing Lugnuts. He's going to talk about some of the people he's seen this season. Uh, then we're going to talk about the people we're about to see, the call-ups, coming to the Toronto Blue Jays very, very, very soon, like tomorrow. Uh, and questions, if we have any. Yeah, and we were supposed to have another interview with Ben Wagner. I recorded it. It was actually really good because Ben is amazing, and it got destroyed by the techno stupid technology. This is why we don't like fun anymore. I was just going to say, and I'm not going to laugh at that because I wanted to hear that interview. Uh, maybe we'll give Ben yeah, another... Yeah, it was really good. Another... <laughs> Is <laughs> that easy to say? <clears throat> Sorry, no fun. No fun at all. Uh, I tell you what is fun. Watching Deanna Navarro go first to, th first to home on a double uh, and the whole dugout just lose their minds over the whole thing. <laughs> they slimmed down Deanna Navarro. Apparently he's lost like 25 or 35 pounds or something. How, how many of those pounds did he lose on that particular trip around the bases? Well, if you see... His slide into the plate. He just he touches home and just collapses down <laughs> and takes his helmet off before he stands up. Uh, so yeah, Deanna Navarro's back, <laughs> which is all right. I mean, now a lot of people remember the Deanna Navarro who played full time and was uh, I won't say great, but he was certainly better than the last couple of guys we had in our catcher position because they were JP and Aaron Sibia and maybe Rod Barajas and. Uh, a Molina. Which one did we have again? Both. Oh, okay. We had both. <laughs> and none of those guys could hit a lick. And uh, Deanna Navarro, at least, has, has the ability to, to, you know, pop the occasional homer, look kind of decent here and there, hit from both sides of the plate. Uh, he has not been having a good year. No, he hasn't. And, no, that's unfortunate for him. But he clearly does still have the talent. I mean, it's not going to just disappear overnight. And he's... Regardless of any of even even his current numbers, he's a massive upgrade over Josh Tolley. Uh, there are pieces of furniture in my apartment who appear to be massive upgrades offensively over Josh Tolley. 
Josh Dolly has one job, and it's arguable how well he does it, which is to catch the knuckleball to R.A. Yeah. Dickey's liking. Yep. That really is his only job. And they're like, it's, it's, it's good that you added the to his liking part, because that really does seem to be the entire crux of it. It's not whether he does it well or not, just whether Dickey thinks he's doing it well. Yeah, because I, I, I mean, people have watched Red Sox broadcast and reflected on the fact that absolutely nobody can catch Stephen Wright's knuckleball on the Red Sox staff, which is all well and good. But if you still have wild pitches, does it matter if you have like two wild pitches in a game or three or four? <laughs> <laughs> like, what's what's the line of excellence here for number of fastballs and wild pitches? I I don't know. Obviously, the questions about where the playoff roster is, is going to fall have uh, a lot to do with no Ari Dickey still, based on, on how the, you know the quality of pitching they've gotten for the rest of the rotation. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see in any, situ- any situation where Ari Dickey is a, a starter in the playoffs, unless someone gets hurt. And that's part of the why, the, part of the reason that Navarro is a guy that they brought in because they wanted a backup catcher who can play when there's not a knuckleballer on the mound. You know, he's not a great receiver. He never has been. But he still calls a great game, and he's just a much better hitter. So if the team does have to pinch run for Martin or something late in the game, they're not stuck with Josh Tolley if things go poorly afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you just you nailed it right there. You, you need a regular backup catcher, not not the Josh Tolley role. And uh, in the playoffs... It's especially important because you've got more moves potentially going on late in games when, when games are close. So I think it's cool to have him back. It it does genuinely seem like everybody enjoys having him back. I, I noted on the broadcast on the radio I was listening, and Joe Siddle remarked on his helmet, which is absolutely caked with pine tar. Yeah, I got a question about that on Twitter, too. <laughs> not for the podcast. Just someone asked me, so what's going on with this? Like, well, I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> but, but apparently it's his old helmet. Yeah, and that was exactly what Siddle guessed. He says, I wonder if they knew he was coming. So while he was in Toronto, the equipment manager went into storage and, and uh, dug out his old helmet for him. So they wouldn't have to have to you know go through all that trouble. And he'd have his old one back, which, of course is going to be caked in pine tar after a year and a half or two years or whatever of use. But it is remarkable how fast some players turn the helmet into an absolute disaster area. But you would think, yeah. like, the very first game back, you're like, really? Did you sit in the dugout for a while with tarry gloves and just got to break yeah, this well, thing he, in? He wanted to feel like you never left. <laughs> wanted to feel right at home. But yeah, yeah. And actually, he says they did give him back his old helmet. <laughs> And did he complain that they didn't clean it? No, he was probably relieved. Yeah, it took a while to get that that perfect patina on there. <laughs> so the Jays, anyway, I think. Oh, go yeah, ahead. Just, but just we're just to sum it up, we're both very happy that he's back because it costs nothing. Yeah, that's the other thing. Double A reliever. Yeah, we're we're cool with that. Um, we're also cool, probably with a five and three week, and I put week in quotes because, as you pointed out, we managed to stretch the week. Uh, by having an early podcast at, at the beginning because I wanted to record during the day and then and then we pushed it back because as I said we've we relocated our studio space uh, so I needed to push back because I didn't have any internet access so between those two things the Jays have played eight games and I, I mean they swept and they won two out of three and then they lost the game to the Angels at the, the other end of that uh, yeah, they lost the first two games to or the last two games to the Angels, which both happened after we recorded. And those were games that you know, had a lot of hand wringing from the Jays' base because they couldn't hit. They couldn't hit Jared Weaver's throwing eighty-two mile an hour fastballs. Yeah, and you wonder: is it one of those nights, or is it you really need to re-examine what you were calling your approach? And then they went in, and if you even look at it, the Minnesota series, was the sweep, and I'm not complaining about the Minnesota series because. Apparently, beating Minnesota is the easiest thing in the world to do right now as they have now lost. I, last time I checked, it was 13 in a row, but I may have missed a game. I apologize. I don't keep that close tabs on Minnesota. That's easy to do. But the Blue Jays did not take advantage of the crappy starting pitching early in any of those. They destroyed the bullpen in every game. They they had to come back in all three, didn't they? Well, 
yeah, I mean, well, their their starting pitching wasn't exactly ideal in, the, in that series. But it's funny that was sort of the the viewpoint is that the Jays beat up on the Twins bullpen, which they absolutely did. But all three starters actually ended up with horrible pitching lines by the end. Now, some of that was because of inherited runners. But, I mean, Pat Dean lasted two and a third. Irvin Santana gave up six runs. Yeah, well, Irvin Santana was kind of left into his own twist in the wind. Though, I wouldn't blame Irvin Santana for not wanting to be relieved by anyone in that Twins bullpen. Which, I the first night I was watching, I literally wondered if they had any guy who threw strikes at all. Like, every guy who came in was like, well, the zone's optional, and I don't know what I'm doing, so I'll walk a couple, and I'll finally groove a fastball, and surprise, surprise, the Blue Jays know what to do with a grooved fastball. It's great that it helps their record and gets them into the division lead, but you know that has nothing to do with what they're going to be facing in the playoffs. Like, that kind of approach is not really going to help, because those pitchers aren't going to be anywhere near the playoffs. No. And yeah, that was not really indicative of much, but still, it's it's nice to see them do that when they're supposed to do that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and then obviously, you know, Donaldson had uh, one heck of a series. I think it was five home runs in five games, or six home runs in five games, including a three run, a three homer game. He had enough, really. <laughs> he had enough offense to, uh, yeah, to, to improve that MVP stock and all that other good stuff. I mean, it wasn't just last podcast. We were talking about how it doesn't look like he's going to get to 40. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe maybe we don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, he's uh, up to 34 now. And, well, you know, that pretty, pretty good stretch he had there. There have been a lot of sudden surges in the Blue Jays this year. It's been it's been very uh, unsteady offense. I think we, we got spoiled by Jose Bautista, who would, like, get a walk and an extra base hit every other day. Uh and now we've we've got Encarnacion who has two hot months out of the sixth, but the hot months are so scorchingly hot that it comes out <laughs> in the end. Uh, Tulowitzki and Martin played like they had forgotten any of their lessons from Little League for the first month and a half of the season, and they have both had really hot streaks. Martin has what nine home runs in the last month? He had seven in the first four months of the season. Yep, <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> even make any sense. Yeah. Now, just back to Donson, though. Uh, the, so he did the three homers at home, which means almost a year to the day, by the way, from when Encarnacion did it last year, which means he got the hat trick. And he got you know, hats. People raining their hats on the field. It actually was 365 days because there was a leap year. Very nice. So yeah. it's now hat trick day, almost. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean, it was... It was Last year, I, th- I don't think I was... You know, I was like, oh, no, the hockifying of baseball. But... I kind of like it now. It's like it's just sort of our thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, and I think it's a genuine thing. It's not someone told you that this is what you're supposed to do. And I think. No, they definitely didn't. Uh, yeah. Especially say stadium ops. They didn't say anything about that. I think, yes, it is the hockeyfication of, of baseball. I get it. It's a hockey thing for a hat trick. Though, do you call it a hat trick in soccer? You're asking the wrong person. I believe I've heard the term used, though I don't know if throwing your hat is specifically a gesture you you make. It's so rare in baseball that I really feel like it's one of those, well, there's no harm there. It's not like you're going to have hats on the field every every week. It turns out the hat trick is actually its origins from cricket. The more you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's the cricketification of baseball, which is fine because they're <laughs> they're based on the same ideas, are they not? Yep. Uh, but anyway, so the offense did what they need to do, and then against Baltimore, they did enough, I guess. I mean, they didn't hit Gallardo or Jimenez all that hard, but, but the pitching showed up again. Yes, it did. Which was what was kind of wonky in the Minnesota series. So when you know when it was really time to bear down. Two out of the three games, things happen the way they're supposed to happen. And again, that the, the it's it's wonderful for narrative building that the, the Baltimore series was a microcosm of the things that should make the, the Blue Jays better than the Orioles by the end of the season. Number one, the starting pitching. Even if, if the starting pitching doesn't get beat up horribly, you know that overall the Blue Jays should have better starters than the Orioles. And then the second thing is the home runs that uh, he who homers most uh, 
laughs last in that series, each team, whoever homered most in the game, won the game. Now, <laughs> is that all just crap when you it, just in three games? Yes. But it's fun because that's the story of those two seasons, right? The, the one thing Baltimore does better than Blue Jays is, is hit dingers. Yeah. Yeah, it sounded up pretty nicely, actually. <laughs> but uh, you mentioned the rotation, by the way, that it pitched so well. Like this, I'll transition to our next thing. You know, take over your hosting duties for a second there. I dock you the five six, points. Yeah. The, <laughs> the six-man rotation is back, I guess, because Sanchez is back. But there's no actual rotation anymore. It's just, hey, we're going to pitch you here and there. Friday, the day that we're releasing this, was supposed to be Lariano's day. But it's Stroman. Of course it is. Yeah, and then TBD for Saturday, and then again on Sunday. TBD is very good this time of year. He's, he's oh, not. I don't, I don't know, but very good. Just used a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think they're probably about as confused as the average fan, though, as far as how or, or why they're they're pitching in any particular order at this point, or or resting or not resting a certain guy. I, I think they're they are obviously playing it by ear, but I, I really, I don't think there's any science to it. I don't think there's anything to back it up anymore. It's just, do you feel good? Good. Are you close well, to I don't regular think rest? Science or do you feel good? I think it's matchups. You think it's that in the end? Yeah. I mean, I, it's all it should be. So you're I mean, trying it's not to like get... there's no reason to think that any of these guys is not feeling good at the moment. So is, yeah, I, don't, is, I don't think Mar- Mar- Francisco Liriano got set, go, you know, is not starting Friday because he feels bad. I think it's because they want Stroman to pitch. So do you or do you not want Marco Estrada in your matchup at this point in the season? Absolutely, I do. It just depends on, uh, you know, who he's facing, right? I want basically the way it should be done, and I think they're going to do it, is that when you're facing Boston and Baltimore, which they're going to be doing a bunch from here until the end of the season, you want... In those three-game sets, your three pitchers to be three out of Hap, Sanchez, Estrada, and Stroman. And now, and I think they're going to arrange it that way. And you're on record as thinking that they are are that strategically minded. So you know what we're going to find out? Is Josh smarter than the Blue Jays? <laughs> Clearly. It's like a bizarre version of the, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Uh, yeah, because they are paid to be smart about these things. We promise. What else happened this week that we are uh, are we glossing over? Anything? Oh, I like the way Aaron Sanchez handled Chris Davis, who just owned him throughout his entire career. He walked him every single time and got to Mark Trumbo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, com- I confess I didn't see the at-bats, uh, or I guess they're not at-bats because they're all locks. Uh, plate appearances, uh, because again, I was listening on the radio for most of that game. But it didn't sound like there was any danger of him finding the strike zone at all like it was like if davis decides to take a couple cuts and get two strikes well maybe i'll throw him something that'll finish him off but until then no i I think that's an interesting strategy knowing that lefties in general have been the sore spot for sanchez well i don't know about sore spot in his career maybe but this year there's he's handling him just fine yeah and then chris davis more specifically has been a problem uh and then mark trumbo the the 40 home run threat is is just not the same kind of threat as Chris Davis. It was just kind of interesting. Well, there's a really interesting piece done on Fangraphs. I think it was August Fagestrom who wrote it. I hope I didn't get that wrong. Uh, about Aaron Sanchez. And he just absolutely owns right-handed pull hitters. I'm, I'm going to have to link this on the, on the post for this podcast because there were, I think it was two balls that had gone to regular depth left field pulled by left hand, by right-handed batters <laughs> two 162 innings he's up on just if you folks weren't keeping track yeah so, it's just right-handers cannot pull the ball with power against him just because of the way that ball dives in on their hands and it was august vegas i did not get that wrong uh you get your five points back that i docked you earlier <laughs> uh yeah, so I, it was just an interesting little bit of strategy that it was like, you know what, I, Chris Davis can't beat me, and Mark Trumbo really is not going to beat me, and Mark Trumbo certainly has no hope of beating me, so off I go. And I, I'm, I'm sure that that was a pregame plan. 
um, yeah, to say the I, least. I, there's no reason for it not to be because of what we just talked about. And just to take that a little further again from that piece, here are the, the three best OPS allowed to the pole field from righties on righties. Noah Syndergaard is third best at a 724 OPS. Johnny Cueto is second best at 606. Aaron Sanchez, 449. Really? Like, yeah. miles ahead. Aaron Sanchez makes righties when they're trying to pull the ball, which is when they have power, look like pitchers. And you wonder why John Gibbons wants him in the bullpen, where he can send him out there only against righty power hitters. I, I don't know if that's true <laughs> anymore, but it certainly was true at some point. Oh, that he wants him in the bullpen? Yeah, I just yeah. I have a feeling that that's what, what Gibbons the light in his eyes there was was wow i can i can protect this kid from all of the negatives and i can really really accentuate the positives which is obviously what you want to do in the bullpen anyway but he's such an extreme case yeah. uh, so uh, we're gonna leave the current team i think uh because we have an interview coming up with jesse goldberg strassler from the lansing lug nuts and we don't want to make you wait any longer for that he's going to tell us about some of the new faces and old faces he saw in lansing this year we'll be right back with him And we are pleased to welcome back Jesse Goldberg Strassler, the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts to Artificial Turf Wars. How are you doing tonight, Jesse? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. So you are you are right in the home stretch of the Lugnuts season, and you were just reflecting that, that this is an important evening for them in the playoff picture. You want to recap that for us? Well, the fun thing is that they talk about development, development, development all year. And then now we get to the end of the year. This is where you want to win. This is where each affiliate wants to win its league championship. So it's a disappointment when a Buffalo or a New Hampshire or a Bluefield or a Vancouver doesn't make the playoffs. The Lugnuts right now, with four games to go in the regular season, are currently down by a game and a half to the Dodgers affiliate, the Great Lakes Loons. And they have been loaded up. Uh, guys like T.J. Zoic and Joshua Palacios and Kevin Biggio and uh, J.B. Woodman have been sent in from Vancouver to help this team for the final couple of games to help get the Lansing Lugnuts into the postseason. So it's a blast right now. I'm curious when it comes to that. Do you think that the organization, as opposed to just wanting to help the affiliates get in, places a premium on guys getting minor league playoff experience? You want guys to have experience in winning. You want guys to have experience in playing very big games. So, yes, I was part of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays system back in 2006 when they said, we want every single affiliate to win a league championship. And my Montgomery Biscuits won the Southern League title in 2006 and 2007. I think it's really good when you get your affiliates that experience of winning and coming together as a team. Because throughout the year, who knows what everybody is thinking about in the playoffs and especially leading up to the playoffs that's where the team gels where everybody's in it together where you see guys leaning over the dugout and saying let's go and it is a team victory can i just say that you've worked for some teams the great names the biscuits and the lug nuts <laughs> i've worked for the brockton rocks i've worked for the <laughs> city thunderbolts the rocks the weird thing about that they had two different jerseys that would get worn concurrently. So some players would be wearing ROX jerseys and other players would be wearing ROCKS jerseys at the same time. What level was this? This was independent baseball in the Can-Am League. Amazing. I still feel like Go Rocks is a tough, tough slogan to get behind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you sit there and be large and heavy. Um, <laughs> so you were throwing a bunch of names out there and I guess that's that's probably the, the thing that uh, you know people who follow the minor leagues follow more is they follow those those moving parts as they move up and down levels and, and have good years and bad um, so who uh, who are a couple of those guys who just showed up recently who showed really well in Vancouver that you were talking about there I think we should start with Joshua Palacios because there's an argument made that he's the least of the names. Zoic was the first rounder and Woodman was the second rounder, and Kevin Biggio is Craig Biggio's son. So Palacios might be the odd man out, even though he's a fourth-round draft pick, and even though his uncle was in the major leagues for, for three years with the Royals. And I especially want to start with Joshua Palacios because today he went two for four after he went three for four yesterday. 
He's hitting 455 with the lug nuts in five games, but more importantly, he now has a 19-game hitting streak stretching back to Vancouver and a 32-game on base streak, and every single time he comes up, he just puts the bat on the ball. That is What's he like defensively? Rare skill. He plays center field or right field. He's we saw him in. He uh, he misplayed a ball that he simply lost in the sun that I didn't think that he had sunglasses. And the rest of that game, he was shaky. And since then, he hasn't been shaky. Today in spacious Cooley Law School Stadium, the home of the Lugnuts, there's a lot of ground to cover, and he covered it well. And in the ninth inning, he ran down two deep balls to the right center gap and really made life a lot easier for Andrew Case. Oh. That's I mean, it's always nice when you get to hear about the guys that can play the defense because that's usually the type of thing that you, know, you hear about these guys with these athletes in center field, but like they'll be able to read and run down those balls is always the one that, you know, that's what you like to see down at the end there. Well, that's the fun thing is that I've gotten to see a lot of premium defenders come through from Jake Marisnik and Dalton Pompey and Kevin Pillar. And now this year, I love watching Lane Thomas play center. I love watching Andrew Giat play wherever they put him. And J.B. Woodman was an all-SEC defensive player. So I want to see more of uh, J.B. in the outfield. Now just going back to some of the guys that you've had for the, for all the whole season, or at least most of the season, well, what are the guys that, I mean, we talked to you earlier in the season, but over the last two months or so that have really impressed you? Or who are they, rather? I think Ryan Barucki is tops on my list simply because he went out there and he allowed one run in the first inning today. And then he set down 14 out of 15. And that now makes, let's go back. Before today, in his last five starts, four of them had been five shutout innings. And today, he gives up a run in five innings. He's too good for this league right now. He's, He's going to go right into Dunedin next year, and I expect him to shove. Didn't he, now, he started the year in Dunedin, correct? Yes, and I asked pitching coach Jeff Ware, how did Ryan Barucki have a 14.4 ERA in six starts there? How did he give up 10 home runs there? And he's given up one home run and over 400 batters faced here. And Jeff told me I mean, they made some adjustments mechanically, but he barely pitched at all last year and he skipped a level and his confidence was low. And now his confidence is sky high and he is destroying batters. It just... Well, I mean, obviously, that's what we want to hear about a guy, right? So it'd be nice, I think, for him as well, for for Dunedin to you know, go back there knowing what he's done here. But just quickly taking it out of the organization now, I'm curious. We talked earlier on our part of the, the, the show about the trade for Deanna Navarro. Who is Colton Turner? Colton Turner's a great guy. Uh, he's a blonde six foot three left-hander out of Texas who grew up loving the Texas Rangers. He's met Nolan Ryan. He's met Roger Clemens. He went to Texas State University where Paul uh, Paul Goldschmidt of the Diamondbacks was actually the guy who showed him around campus and said, here's your tour. He was drafted by the Blue Jays. He was thrown in the low 90s, and then he blew out his arm. And he missed the entire 2014 season due to Tommy John. But the worst thing was that he was brought into spring training. They thought he could work through it, so he missed a lot more time than he should have. And he showed up with the lug nuts last year. He didn't trust his arm. They were changing his arm slot. He was a 24-year-old, and he was no good for us. Then he went to the Australian Baseball League winter 2015 into 2016. And he actually showed really well in the Australian Baseball League and got his confidence back. Pitched for us in April this year. Was throwing 93-94 as a left-handed pitcher. And you go, well, they got something here. Out of nowhere, a 25-year-old in his third season in single A might be a big leaguer. So they move him up to Dunedin. He shoves there. Move him up to double A. And now he's an asset to trade one for one for Deanna Navarro. I credit the organization. I cred uh, credit Colton Turner. And I know there are guys who are sad to see him go, but I know that in the same respect, they say this is really great that they could turn him into Deion Navarro one for one. This actually goes to a tweet you had recently where you mentioned that the Jays do a good job of, of uh, you know, in their pitcher development. Um, you know, what, what is it that they're doing specifically? Because this, this was in the context of Matt Dermody's theoretical call up to the big leagues. The thing is, there are pitchers who, going, who are going up to the major leagues who are, yes, top prospects, like an Aaron Sanchez, who they developed and have made it, or Roberto Osuna, who is an international free agent at 16 and is a heck of a player. But Danny Barnes has developed under their watch, and so has Matt Dermody. And the fact that they got Osuna and Sanchez to where they are right now, 
and I know people who think that Ryan Tapera will be a viable major league arm next year, and they drafted him out of a San Jacinto top junior college, but nobody would have thought that he would have been something. They turned Sean Nolan into something that they could trade. Kendall Graveman developed under their watch, and they traded him. I continually see when people say that the cupboard is bare, that they've traded Toronto and Jimmy Cordero, and they've traded away a Kendall Graveman and a Sean Nolan, or a Jeff Hoffman, and a Daniel Norris, and a Matt Boyd, trading away pitcher after pitcher after pitcher, and then I look this year, and coming through the Lansing Lugnuts are Jordan Romano, and Ryan Barucki, and Sean Reed Foley, and John Harris, Justin Maese, Francisco Rios. I'm sorry I'm talking your ear off. But I consider every single one of those guys future major leaguers if they keep on developing. That is crazy. They has had more than three or four future major leaguers in their starting rotation. That's what the Blue Jays are doing with pitching right now. There seems to be no depth coming in in waves every single time. Uh, one final note is that they can turn around and they can trade a Guadalupe Chab. One for one for a major leaguer. And that guy is in rookie ball, in Bluefield, or in the Gulf Coast League, so it doesn't hurt out their depth any. And yet they're still thought of highly enough by other organizations. I know that there have been guys who've busted, but I'm still impressed by the depth that they are uh, bringing up through the system. And I can't wait for people to get to know. <laughs> and Justin Maese really are. So what I guess I'm wondering there is this was an organization that had a lot of problems uh, in the Riccardi area and, and the beginning of the Anthopolis era getting any kind of player to the major leagues, but but especially it seemed pitchers, especially, and you credit the the picks, but you also credit the actual development. What do you think changed in the org? Was it Was it different people they brought in? It's a good question. So I've been with the Lugnuts since 2009. In 2009, I saw Henderson Alvarez, and in 2010, I saw Drew Hutchison, but I didn't see a lot of depth. So I think you can credit the drafting, the fact that they've been able to bring in top-notch guys through the draft or through international free agency like Angel Perdomo and Roberto Osuna. Um, so, yeah, I think that they're bringing in the right guys. And I also think... I love Vince Horseman when he was here. I love what Tony Caceres is doing in Bluefield. And watching Jeff Ware each of the last two years, we've called him a pitcher whisperer because of what he's been able to do with a Tim Meza and turning Tim Meza into a future major leaguer. And now he's going to go to the Arizona Fall League. The fact that Matt Dermody or uh, at the A advanced and Eden level, I can make the case for Adonis Cardona and Jose Fernandez and Alonzo Gonzalez and guys that are off the map to be major league arms. I really do think that the development that they have, the pitching coaches working through this system, and Sal Fasano just recently got fired, but I think that he and his crew did a heck of a job in getting guys ready and moving them up. Yeah, that was kind of puzzling because there has been, you know, a decent amount of success in the minor leagues, and, and to let a minor league coordinator go like that, just I think there was a little eyebrow raise, but we don't really understand what goes on in an organization especially when when new people come in at the top we know they like to have their own guys for for, for whatever reason um but do you think that's going to disrupt things or, or are you just going to wait and see for for next year <laughs> i'll wait and see the the fun part about my job is i get to say things like here's the pitch or ryan brookie's the third pitcher in the mwl the double digit wins i get to take that wait and see and for example matt dermody what, a 4-6-7 ERA two years ago in Lansing? I could have never seen Dermody getting to the majors or Danny Barnes getting to the major leagues and being what he is, even though he was so good with the lug nuts. So I've got the ability to take that wait-and-see approach, and I actually enjoy not being on the inside because it keeps me away from all the drama. I like not knowing things. <laughs> I like that. That should have been our tagline. Um, <laughs> so just before we get you out of here, you know, we talked about some of the surprise guys, the pop-up guys, and obviously the, the new call-ups from Vancouver. But on this season, who is the guy you've seen this year offensively, because you mentioned Baruki as the pitchers, that you think has the best shot to be a contributing major leaguer, if anybody? I mean, Max Pentecost is an easy answer, right? I thought you might go there, but I was you know, I wanted to give you the chance to bring him up. What, what has he shown? He's a quality hitter. 
He is a professional hitter. The guy that he reminded me of because I was covering the Baltimore Orioles in 2003. Do you remember Jeff Conine? I'm watching Pentecost's approach and everything that he hits. I'm going, I think that's the way that Conine hit the baseball. And I brought him up and someone said, yeah, but not this and not this. So I could be totally barking up the wrong tree. Pentecost just hits line drives. His bat is quick. One of my favorite things about him is he can get fooled the first two pitches of the at-bat. Breaking ball, he's got nothing. Breaking ball, and again, he looks lost at sea. And you throw it to him again, and he lashes it with pop into the alleyway, and he beats out a double or even a triple because he runs well. The fun thing, too, is that saying to us that he wasn't seeing the ball well yet. That missing last year, it hurt his timing, and it hurt his eyesight. So my thinking is, when he gets the eyesight back, when he gets his timing really back, he's going to really hit. Well, Jesse, as always, you've given us a lot to look forward to in the Blue Jays' future, so uh, thank you for that. And um, you, we do this once a week, and it's difficult enough to come up with uh, with enough things to say. Um, so we, we appreciate all of the, the contributions you make on a daily basis to the, uh, the Blue Jays' uh, sphere. So folks can catch you on the radio, yes, if they're yes, close enough to uh, Lansing. LansingLugnuts.com and via the TuneIn Radio app. And also, I try to post it uh, via Twitter, links to the SoundCloud, but if you go to LansingLugnuts.com and you click on the audio archive, I mean, I hope you guys are aware, I try to interview every single player who comes through Lansing and try to get to know them as a person so that people can you know, find out a little bit more about J.B. Woodman or T.J. Zoik or whoever comes along. So if anybody's ever wondering why we never try to interview minor leaguers, it's because Jesse has already done it way better than we could ever try. <laughs> Man, no chance. John Lott, that's the guy that I admire. I'd love to do interviews as good as him. Well, uh, you're, you're certainly on your way, my friend. Uh, and we are going to be on our way out of here. So throw your Twitter handle out there one more time, and then we're going to let you go. Jay Goldstrass, J-G-O-L-D-S-T-R-A-S-S. And thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for coming by. And we have returned. Uh, so that, that's our look at the minor leagues for, you know, kind of the lower minors anyway for 2016, which is pretty cool. The upper minors... They send people to the big ball club, and that was announced this week. So that's my segue. Deal with it. Yeah. Once again, I was I talked to Ben Wagner about this, but it was <laughs> lost. So we'll just try to I'll try to summarize some of the stuff he told me. You keep falling on the same sword over and over again. <laughs> yep. All right. So who are our four names, my friend? Well, this is being reported. Nothing's official yet because there's an off day on Thursday for the Blue Jays, which is when we're recording this. So there's no reason to call anybody up yet. Uh, the names that were being reported are Dalton Pompey, which is the obvious choice. Ryan Tapera, again, no surprise there. Danny Barnes. Can you, you know, mean not Bo Schultz? Bo Schultz can't come back yet. No, no, not Bo Schultz got called out. Oh, I know. Well, but once Bo Schultz is back, then there's <laughs> just he's just Ryan Tapera again. Oh, okay. The surprising name is Matt Dermody. Do you know who Matt Dermody is, Greg? You could you could invite him into my house, and I would not know who Matt Dermody is. <laughs> I would just straight up believe you that this was his name. Who is Matt Dermody? Well, he's a 25-year-old lefty reliever. He's pitched at three levels this year. High A, double A, and then most recently in triple A. And his call-up is, is, is interesting. It was... So he was announced as someone who's going to the Arizona Fall League. And then his agency congratulated him on a call-up. And it seemed odd timing as if maybe did they get confused about the Arizona Fall League. But that seems to be so far the only source. But since it is a source and they are saying it, he's a kind of a uh, – this is according to Ben Wagner. He has a bit of a funky arm slot lefty. He's not someone who should be facing too many righties, but – as a left-on-left -left guy, he should be able to actually help. And, you know, the Jays could use a left-on-left -left guy. Any left-on-left -left guy, pretty much. Because although Brett Cecil has... Uh, uh, did, did, did we have an article about this on BP Toronto this yet? Yes. That was Gideon, Brett Cecil was written about this morning, yes. Yeah, this morning. Okay, so uh, I haven't caught up, obviously. So 
Cecil isn't really doing a lot of things different, but it's not been working out the way it's traditionally worked out for him. Yeah, it's just, it, it seems like a command issue with his curveball. People are, you know, he's throwing a lot of them in the strike zone up, which is not a good spot for curveballs. I honestly believe he does not love that pitch enough. The every high time, curveball? No, the curveball. Oh. He, <laughs> uh, I, I, every time they talk to him, he always tries to, like, downplay the value of his curveball and talks about, you know, uh, I've been working on my changeup and I, I think I can locate my fastball better. It's like, just give in. Love the curveball. See what happens. It, it it probably can't hurt any more than the high curveballs you've been throwing right now. And I figure if you love it, you're really going to bury it uh, and make people look stupid, which is what we'd really like Brett Cecil to do. But that, Brett Cecil, is the high point of the Blue Jays' lefty relief core this year. Oh, yeah. Think it's about that for a minute. Aaron Lou. So anyway, if, if, if Dermody can help, great. Yeah, just stand out there and be left-handed, son. I understand yeah. he doesn't strike a lot of people out. Well, he did in the first two levels of the minors. It's just in his brief stint in AAA, he hasn't. Mm. So this could be uh, just an adjustment period. Wait, yeah, he... and he faced, he, I, th- I think he threw eight innings or something like that, or 15 oh. innings in the minor in AAA. It's not exactly a re- reflective sample size. Uh, ADN Hechveria hit like 350 over like 50 at-bats in AAA the first year. It was awesome. Funny enough, that's not his actual talent level. So <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. I think we'll 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 take the pound of salt uh, with it and see what happens when he gets here. So those are our four guys. Uh, so far, so far, obviously I expect yes. more to come. Which was is, a, this was a question that was asked to us. So we may as well just get to it. Uh, so this question Dave came Goss. in. Yes, from Dave Goss. Yeah, who would be your picks to be called up, and who's the big surprise that didn't? Well, I guess the surprises that didn't is just a little more position player depth. No, well, Tully was kind of the the guy that, you know, the third catcher. Now they can pinch run and, you know, like yesterday, they didn't pinch run for Navarro because they didn't have another catcher on the bench. Shouldn't they call him Jesus? I, here's the thing. He's not on the 40 men. No. Oh. So in order to call him up, they'd have to lose somebody else. Now, there are people they could lose, like Brady Dragmeyer, but... I love when you call up a name and I'm like, I'm going to believe that he's not making that name up because <laughs> because he's my co-host and, and we're in this together. But you could be making that name up. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, I don't think it's going to happen. There's just not really any room to play him. Well, yeah, you do need uh, only three first base DH types on the roster at any given time. Uh, right. Whereas someone like Andy Burns or... You know, Matt Dominguez coming back. At least you know that you have some now backup third baseman just in case, right? Which it there is some logic to seeing a backup third baseman because Darwin Barney, although he is good, is no backup third baseman in in the true sense of the word. Right. So anyway, that's about it. And then just other pitchers. Schultz will be back as soon as he's eligible, which will be when the the Buffalo season ends on Tuesday, I believe. Right. You don't have to wait and the full 10 days because the season is over, so there's nowhere to hold him to. Right, yeah. which is kind yeah. of the fun thing that they did with Devin Travis when they brought Tolley back. They sent Travis down to Bluefield because Bluefield season ends today. So by the time the game <laughs> happens Friday, they can call him right back up. And then you can write the headline, Jason Stahl, a, a ball player, as starting second baseman. No, no, he's rookie ball. <laughs> rookie ball. <laughs> it's not even a ball. It's a better headline. <laughs> you got to one question uh shall we shall we run down the other questions let's do it our very own matt gwynn matt underscore gwynn asks how happy are you now that dalton pompey has come home he didn't even put a scale of one to ten or nothing so how happy are you josh uh, happy i guess <laughs> matt's not gonna like that response um <laughs> not as know, happy I mean, as matt obviously yeah he's not gonna play a whole lot right with Carrera and Upton here oh yeah no I don't think and I don't think he's proven anything this year that he should play a lot is the sad thing he he couldn't squeeze out an OPS in triple a of 800 I don't believe. yeah and he dealt with a lot of weird injuries again this was what Ben Wagner was talking about uh, I think we could see him maybe used as a defensive replacement and a pinch runner which sort of what he was last year yeah and he was an extraordinary pinch runner yeah for what that's worth 
Uh, anyway, worth, but that's the kind of thing yeah. you want in your September roster, right? Just guys who can go steal a base if you need to without killing your roster depth. Absolutely. I would be happier for Dalton, uh, if Dalton Pompey uh, had more or less earned that call-up in a way that made the Jays impossible not to call him up as opposed to sort of filled that role that you just talked about. Uh, next question from Isaac, IB underscore Blue Jays. Which is your favorite reason for which the Blue Jays will not win the world? Oh, God, yeah, I didn't re... Okay, so there was an article today which I did not click because it appeared a wee tad what we call in the business clickbaity from a site I have literally never read before. The 15 reasons why the Blue Jays will not win the World Series. Be- did we need 15, Josh? Yeah. Were they just uh, so the names uh, of 15 American League teams? Seriously. We're not going <laughs> to link this one because it was complete garbage. But just to answer the question, my favorite one was... He said they can't beat the good teams. And then he listed the teams that they're playing against. And they had winning records against all of them. And he's, it's like, oh, they're only seven and six against the Red Sox and seven, six against that's a winning record. Yeah, <laughs> that's what yeah. you need in a playoff series. All you got to do is be four and three and, yeah. and you're through or three and two. So it was just really funny. Oh, yeah. I, I, I got a lot of disdain on my Twitter timeline from that. And that was about it. There wasn't a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of back and forth about which reason was important. Uh, yep. uh, who had the worst facial hair in the majors and why is it Mookie Betts? That's from Zakir. You can answer that one. At zero. Worst facial hair in the majors. Um, why is it Mookie Betts, really? I don't know. All these beards actually kind of drive me crazy. Betts has that little chin thing on the bottom, which looks terrible. But well, it's just, no, this is just in perpetuity. Brian Wilson. Even he's retired. He's still Brian Wilson. The beard. I always thought Brian Wilson was just uh, some appendage attached to the beard, which pitched. But if you insist that it was (laughs) facial hair, then Brian Wilson's facial hair was the worst. Uh, Yeah, I'll read one for you. Okay. So this one comes from Doug Cottier. At this point in the season, where would you draw the line of 2016 being success or failure for the Jays. Hmm. That's an interesting one. Um, yeah, I, okay. Where would I draw the line? Personally? I say, if you win your division and you, you, you know, get a victory in the playoffs, that's still a victory because honestly, the playoffs are a, a very unpredictable place. And in, in the real skill of creating a baseball team, in my mind, is still creating teams that can get to the playoffs with some kind of consistency. Now, if you ask the players on that team that same question, I would think that they would have to get to the World Series to consider the season successful. Your take on that one? If you ask the players, yeah, sure. Uh, I think, yeah, just like winning a postseason series again, I think is kind of the level now. So they got to at least equal what they did last year. Yeah. I think so. That's Just fair. given where they are and with what's going to happen in the offseason. Yeah. Let's not go there yet. This is a fun season. <laughs> we'll stick to 2016. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we got two more questions. Yes. Do you want do you want to read the email question first? It was quite Sure. So this one came in from Matt Sweeby. Here's the question. His question is given the choice, what would you prefer? Four seasons like the Red Sox 2012 to 2015, last place World Series, last place, last place. Or the Cardinals 2012 to 2015. NLCS loss, World Series loss, NLCS loss, NLDS loss. I would prefer the Cardinals. I, I understand. Like, I, the question is kind of weird because you never know ahead of time. But I would much rather every year watch a team doing its its, its darndest and, and having some success than the complete crapshoot that appears to be the the Red Sox chart at the moment which is just the the strangest if you look at those four years that's a really really weird (laughs) combination of seasons and um I don't know I I just I, I feel as a fan I would just be freaking out in the years where they were doing both and I wouldn't be I wouldn't understand what was going on and I I would rather have some sort of consistent understanding what's going on 
I would take the Red Sox. Because you want the World flag. Series title. Yeah. But also, but even, even just be, I mean, that's the main reason, obviously. But beyond that, if you do that, you're set up for the next four years better. Oh, because you've, you've got... Uh, you've come last three times. You can have lots yeah. of those high draft picks. And this is like the way the Red Sox are now with that incredible young talent. Yeah, I would still go bonkers. <laughs> I I see your point. I would go bonkers. Anyway, uh, it's a cool question. Yeah. So uh, yeah, if you wanna you wanna weigh in on at Turf Pod and tell us which which four year stretch you would rather have, I think we would be uh, would be curious to see some of your reasoning on the next podcast. Or don't yeah. you know? Hey, whatever you like. Um, but we'll keep an eye out for that. Final question is Dave goss again should we change no. the name hmm go ahead There's should we more, change okay. the name of our do-over segment to what's buck done or said now that's why there's no do-over this week is because we don't want to pick on buck again because okay just very briefly he had bautista in right field when saunders was playing <laughs> there you go quick, quick. <laughs> buck. what does buck said this week <laughs> But yeah, they, no, we, we, we don't want to keep ragging on the announcers because it is a really tough gig. They just make it so easy for us. <laughs> Indeed. Sorry, I missed a question. Uh, so I'll fire it back at you. In the postseason, is Dickie to the bullpen a good idea? And in what situation would he be used? I think it's going to be, it makes more sense to have Feldman take the last bullpen role just because he is a guy you can use in a short relief scenario if you need to. But if it is Dickey, the only scenario he'd be used is if your starter gets bombed out early and you want to save the pen, right? Yep. Yeah, there's too much uncertainty. So first of all, I would like to say that that question came from Joel Wendell because I missed it. That's at Wendell Joel. And then the second thing I would like to say is he has a really cool Twitter avatar, which appears to be a 3D Peanuts character, which I, I don't know if it's an actual Peanuts character or if it's him. But No, when the Peanuts movie came out, they did a thing where you could create yourself as a Peanuts character. Well, his is pretty cool. <laughs> okay. I like there you your go, Joel. Compliment from Greg. There you go. You you can go home with that one now. Ah, uh, that I think about sums it up. Yeah, I think we've gotten a lot in there, and we we've we've spared everyone the mockery uh, for one week of the do over. Hopefully, we'll come back with a gold star next week and possibly another interview, but. Before I do that, I have to walk us on out of here like I usually do. So that is to say that you have been Joshua Housem at Josh House, Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And our guest was Jesse Goldberg Strasser, Strassler at J Goldstrass, if I'm not mistaken, on the Twitter. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 27. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>